What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Inside the Labyrinth podcast, powered by Reps for Responders. This episode is sponsored by Valor Supplements and No Matter What Apparel. Both companies are owned by first responders, so let's give back to them who support first responders. Visit www.valorsupplements.net and use the code in all caps, RFR10, for 10% off your total purchase. Visit www.nomatterwhatapparel.com and use this code inside the lab in all caps for 10% off your total purchase. In this episode, Frank and Jay had the honor to speak with Officer Dylan, the founder of One Less. In this episode, Dylan speaks honestly and open about his struggles and how he's thriving today. Dylan also speaks about how One Less formed and also what their mission is. One Less means one less suicide in the first responder world. One Less looks to become the hub for all first responders countrywide. If they are struggling, need help, advice, or anything, they can reach out to One Less and One Less can provide them with available resources in their community. I'd like to thank Dylan for coming on our show and being a beacon of light in times like this. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. This episode is really, really, really important for active and retired first responders. Remember, you're not alone, and you can reach out to myself, Jay, or Dylan at any time. Have a good day, and enjoy the episode. Thanks a lot, guys. And we're live. Welcome back to Inside the Labyrinth, Season 5, Episode 4. Last episode, we had James R. Fitzgerald, retired FBI agent, most famous known in the Unibomb case, so please check that out. Um, you guys know me, you know my spiel. It's Frank. Uh, really excited for today's guest. Very, very similar mission. It's great to hear that, uh, you know, all over the country that people are getting together and it's uh, it's going to come down to us to uh, f- to fight this battle that people are going through. So um, really, really honored to uh, have this podcast today. But before we introduce our guest, kick it over to the one and only Real Jumpman Jay. Hey, the Real Jumpman Jay. As always, uh, Reps for Responders, Inside the Labyrinth podcast. Um, it's always a blessing to be on these um, interviews with my boy Frankie. And, um, you know, we've come a long way since we started. And um, the guy that we're going to have on this show today is, um, consider him my boy. You know, we haven't physically met um, in person, but, um, you know, just from being around my cousins, that work in the same area that he works in that they speak very highly of him. And, um, you know, I made it a thing to, to build a relationship with this dude because, you know, we have uh, very similar um, mission statements as far as how we want to go about helping others and, you know, just how we, you know, do the job. So, um, you know, we made it a thing to try to make this happen. You know, Frankie uh, is the, like I said, Frankie closes all the big deals. Frankie's like the Jerry Maguire of, uh, of, of of the podcast game. You know what I mean? He's he's, uh, he's making things happen. So um, I'm going to swing it back to Frankie so he introduced our guest, but I'm excited to have this man on today. Appreciate that, Jay. Anytime, um, bro. So I'm going to introduce Dylan, Officer Dylan from One Less Org. Dylan, how you doing, man? And how you doing right now where your feet are? Yo, I'm blessed to be here. That's, that's uh, definitely going through some stuff right now. We can get into that later, but... 
Um, extremely blessed to be here with both you guys. You guys are an inspiration, especially since my nonprofit is, is just getting kicked back up off the ground. Uh, seeing what you guys are doing for all of our first responders is a true blessing. And I'm just, I'm just really happy to have the opportunity to speak on here. I really appreciate that, man. And uh, like I said in the intro, you know, I'm really, really happy to see what, what you're doing, uh, what your, your organization as well. So uh, let's hop in your labyrinth. Let's uh, travel through and see what uh, Dylan's got for us. So Dylan, take us back to a Dylan in high school. How was high school for you? Did you like it? Did you enjoy it? Sports or how was Dylan then? Yo, <laughs> Dylan was in an identity crisis in high school. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was like, uh, I don't know, a mix between a, a redneck and a wannabe Eminem. I couldn't really figure it out. <laughs> uh, you know, my family is extremely diverse. My dad's an immigrant from the Dominican Republic, or my dad who raised me. Um, and uh, you're probably looking at me like, yo, this man ain't Dominican. Uh, but my, my father, who I consider my father who raised me, yes, uh, he. Uh, he's an immigrant from the Dominican, and my mom's from West Virginia. And then we they both merged in Northern Virginia, and so and uh, and so and that's kind of where my upbringing was. Um, but yeah, so high school, I loved it actually, more for the social aspect than the school aspect. Uh, I was definitely the class clown. Uh, definitely didn't pay attention that much in school, uh, to be quite honest. Um, but I loved it for the social aspect because all my boys were there, and uh, high school, I. I used to think it was a curse because I didn't have like one group of friends. I was kind of friends with one person in every big group. You know, you had the, you know, you kind of had like the, the jock guys in one group that all hung out together. You had the, you know, the, the kids that live up in the, in the, in the nicer areas that hung out together. I kind of had a friend from each area. Okay. I, it was, my identity crisis was trying to figure out why I didn't just fit into one group. You know, I just had, I pulled people from different areas uh, to become my best friends. And so, uh, and who's stuck with me till now. So yeah, high school was a definitely an interesting experience uh, for me. Um, definitely uh, uh, testing my limits. And then um, definitely, I will say that not a lot of leadership qualities in that because I was more of just trying to follow, follow whatever path I thought was best for me. And some of those were not the best. <laughs> so yeah, hundred percent. Uh, yeah, it's kind of tough when it's tough to find your place when you're trying to run with the crowd and it's not, it's, uh, you know, it's, hum it's, you're humble for saying that, man, you know, following and, you know, trying to find out really who you are. Um, I think a lot of us have been there. So I'm guessing that being an officer in your high school mind of Dylan, was it in, a, in your thoughts yet or was it or was it like oh you gotta be kidding me if i asked dylan 18 dylan 18 year old dylan that question so uh you know to give some history like i my father um also uh, uh is retired pd so he's a police he was a police officer while i was in high school and to make things more awkward my mom was the assistant principal of the high school i went to uh, so you can <laughs> oh, imagine wow. that was like while i was out here acting a fool um uh you know the teachers got to a point where they wouldn't even yell at me. They'd just go straight to my mom. And then I'd go to her office and then I'd get, you know, get screamed at. And I didn't even know I did anything wrong because I wasn't called out on it in class. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting experience. Like, I remember one time my pop showed up to uh, to the school just to take my phone away from me, you know. And he was like, yo, bro, like, you know, uh, your mom told me to do this, you know. <laughs> was, was he in uniform? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
he ran he my mom ran the show my mom's a very strong strong woman uh raised me for six years prior to meeting my father so she ran the house but he was definitely she put in him in a position to be the heavy hand so like if she wanted something done she'd, she'd send the muscle and so he i remember specifically he came in and you know so so yeah the high school that also made the high school experience different because it was kind of funny the I guess like the rich kind of preppy kids didn't like me because they were out fooling around and they thought that because my dad was a cop, they're going to get caught up. Meanwhile, uh, the kids from the rougher areas uh, around here loved me because I was like the, I was like the, the friend that had a cop dad friend. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, like I was like the friend that, that, you know, I don't want to say like the get out of jail free card, but like it was like a connect to the law enforcement, you know? So um, I actually ended up finding my way more with those guys than like the the other guys um which kind of led me down my path i guess a little bit um and then to harp on that uh funny you talk about wanting to be a police officer i never really thought i ever wanted to be a police officer i actually didn't know what i wanted to be to be quite honest with you um i think that's a whole part of that identity uh, crisis like not really knowing where i wanted to go i didn't have a clear path clear focus um and the only cop i really had that I really appreciated was my father and then maybe his immediate friends. But other than that, I avoided law enforcement at all costs. So, um, yeah, I didn't really in that, at least in the high school stage of my life, I was not, not definitely not in the headspace to be anything near law enforcement. <laughs> Any sports when teams, did... no sports teams or anything like that, like that fellowship or just going from friends to friends. Yeah. So it was a friend to friend thing. I tried kind of every sport, uh going through did football for a little bit didn't follow through with it um uh, wrestled never made it to, sprained both arches of my feet before i made it to my first match i was just kind of that i don't know i, I tried every sport and it just it, it, for me it was more like the workout that i liked from it um but i think a lot of that has to do and this is probably diving deeper but i think i just didn't have a lot of faith in myself and that really hindered my ability to really participate in any sport because I just thought I couldn't perform. And that I'm actually un, un, like kind of revealing that now through therapy, uh, digging deep into my past. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit later, but um, really fine tuning some of the insecurities that I've had that I've allowed to hinder my life. So yeah, sports weren't really a thing for me. Uh, plus my mom, like she, if I got in trouble, she'd try to use the sport against me. I'm going to take you out of the sport. If you keep acting up, I'm going to do this. And I was like, you know what? I don't really care about the sport anyways. I'll quit myself. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of beating her to the punch almost, you know? Yeah. I was like trying to avoid the, avoid the wrath. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, I, you, can't take, you can't take away anything from me that I don't already take away from myself. So, you know, so yeah. Gotcha. So at, at what point um did it kind of kick in for you to, put it into gear to become a police officer was there like a gap after high school or 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 like because uh, i know for me it was more um i was trying to find who i was from like 18 to like 20 that's like a rough area for for young men i feel um because you know in high school you can you can kind of you know be a part of these different friend groups and if you got into any kind of major trouble you know it kind of gets um thrown by the wayside because you know you're not a you're not a quote unquote adult yet but that 18 to like 20 whatever 
that's that's where like real trouble happens for most guys you know so so where did you figure out hey you know maybe i should buckle down and and probably try to get a career in law enforcement so uh post high school i ended up going to college went to west virginia west virginia university only made it one year <laughs> um okay. i didn't go to college because i wanted to go to college um i went to college just because it was a thing to do and you know a way to get away from the house and you know, I thought I'd make my parents proud, so I went. Um, unfortunately, the insecurities that I had through high school led into my college, and it got me really down a, a, a big, which is ironic to say because I'm a police officer, but it got me into drugs pretty heavy. Um, the guys that I was hanging around through college were complete opposite of what, you know, uh, uh, you know, of, of the people that I hang around now. But uh, essentially, I, I had um, to make to cut that short. Uh, two of the guys that I was very, very close with, I'd consider brothers through that one year, uh, both uh, got hooked on heroin. Um, and so it was like that bad. Uh, and then I was hanging out with dealers and I was kind of like my, my life goal or kind of like the life goal I had for myself was like, I'm just going to be a pothead that like lives in California in an RV, which I've never been to California and I never really lived in an RV, but that's just how lost I was. Um, mm -hmm. So after that one year, I definitely realized, yo, that ain't me. Like, like I don't know what I want to do with my life, but this is not me. Like, I got to get. So I dipped. I didn't get kicked out of school, but I but I dipped out and came back home, which was interesting because uh, my mom, uh, you know, she grew up in West Virginia. She was out of the house at 16. So for her 18-year-old son to come back, it was like, what is he doing here, right? Um, yeah. So I got really big into fitness at that point. I befriended a guy who was a manager at a gym. Uh, actually a long-term neighbor of mine. Um, and he kind of pushed me into fitness, hardcore. And I got a little brother and little sister. They're, they're my all. Actually, I have uh, four, uh, four sisters and three brothers, but um, they're kind of scattered out. Uh, but basically, because of them, I quit doing all the, all the drugs, smoking stuff. I didn't really get anything too heavy. I was a big smoker, but... Um, you know, I entertained a few things, uh, but basically because of my little brother um, and sister, that made me put a halt on all that because now I was back home. I was responsible for picking them up from school. I was responsible for doing this. Last thing I want to do is be hide up and then they need something and I'm not available. So what I did do is I replaced drugs with alcohol. Um, and my buddy and I, even though we worked out all the time and we prepped all our meals, it was like every other night we were drinking. Right. We were, just, you know, just just us two, just hanging out, drinking. That's kind of what we built our relationship out of. Um, but uh, basically, you know, fast forward, I got a go job with a government contractor. I wasn't making good money as a receptionist. Sounds sexier than what it was. Um, <laughs> and then uh, I was going to school at, at a local community college, taking night classes. And at this point, I'm getting ready to turn 21. And uh, my, I remember sitting at the dinner table, my mom, my dad sitting there and uh, you know, my mom essentially in a nutshell was like, look, you're about to be 21. You get the out of my house. Like, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I mean, you got to, you know, your job's not paying enough for you to live on your own. What are you going to do? I didn't really have a plan. And so the joke goes that my father goes, why don't you look into law enforcement? And I laughed at him. He laughed at me. And the next thing I knew I was, you know, <laughs> with a badge and a gun. 
<laughs> um, now, to clarify that, there were three, there were about, you know, about three years between the last time that I had touched any type of weed, anything like that, and, and all that, and had gotten into physical fitness before I applied to be a police officer. It's not like one month, it went from one to the other. Um, I had already cleaned my life up, at least to uh, my standard at the time, so that I felt that I was ready to go into this career. But I didn't go into it like most people. I went into it just because I was like, I need a, I need a job uh, that's going to be better. And then I also, because of once I, my, my purpose instilled in me once I got the job, because then I was like, all right, well, I've had all these negative connotations about law enforcement, um, you know, besides like the love for my father, that I want to be one, like one less asshole, right? That's not how one less started, but I want to, <laughs> like, I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it live. I'm going to do it for the community. I'm going to do it out of love. I'm going to do it, you know? And then again, another identity crisis, because you're going through the academy. Now you think you're like this, you know, top cop, and now you got a gun and a badge and all this kind of stuff. So you're trying to figure out your way. Um, so that kind of what led me into law enforcement. Uh, very, not a traditional route by any means, but getting into this profession by far was the, was kind of the discipline I needed to get my life turned around and then my true purpose to be pushed out instead of being like on this lost path of, you know, kind of like meaningless path. So, so yeah, that's kind of the, the journey, a rocky one for sure. Yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I'm happy you kind of rectified the ship, you know, it started to go off course and, you know, you had the um, self-actualization and be like, all right, well, this is not the person I want to be. I have younger siblings that look up to me and I want to be a, um, a positive, you know, role model or whatever word you want to use to, to your younger siblings. Uh, I think that's an admirable trait. It's not easy, man, especially like coming to that space as a young man. Um, it, it's, it's not easy by any means because like, just speaking from my point of view, it's we're, we're all like conflicted at some point because when you're at that age, you really don't know what you want to be and you're trying to figure out, you know, your way. And we all have like insecurities from, you know, our upbringing and just the traumas that we've experienced as, as, uh, as kids, you know, growing up, I always say this, um, you know, when you're, when, like when you're a kid, right, you're growing up, but your parents probably had you and they were growing up, you know what I'm saying? It's like, that's a heavy concept to really swallow. So it's like, um, it's hard for us to figure out a way because we don't really have um, like the best direction at that age. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause you know, we're around friends, right? So they're trying to figure this shit out too. So it's like, you got a bunch of young misguided kids trying to figure out their way through life. And then that's how some people end up going down the wrong route. And, you know, the, the, and those are the guys that are less fortunate, the fortunate ones like, um, you know, myself, you and Frankie is that we, we, you know, we righted this ship at the right time. And, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a journey that we're, that we're on. that's never ending. Like, I feel like we always got to make sure we're at the helm of the ship, making sure we don't veer back to that, to that dark space. But, um, you know, give yourself a little bit of credit, man. Like, you know, you were able to right the wrongs and, and figure things out. And, you know, now you're, you're at where you're at. 
Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Anytime, that. bro. Anytime, brother. I see Frankie's wheels turning over there. Yeah, of course. No, no, definitely on, on Jay's part. Amen to that. Um, now, Dylan, when you became, when you got on, how old were you? Were you 21 or are you a little older? 21. 21. So you graduate the academy. You're like, okay, now I'm, was it a part of, was it part of you where uh, I need to mature now or that I like, I need to, you know, get, you know, kind of like that, that dinner talk with your mom is kind of like, I could see it being like a revelation for you. Like, all right, you know, light a fire on my ass. Um, I got, like you say, I got this badge and this gun. Um, now I got to go to work. Did it kick in or it took some time to really, uh, um, figure it out as in this is going to be my career and to the point where were you when did it when did it become a purpose and a calling instead of just a job to you how long did that take to kick in so I kind of dive into everything 100% so as soon as I dedicated myself to becoming a police officer like my father had set such a uh, a really good rep reputation for himself. Um, you know, he made his way high up. Uh, he's very well known in our department. Um, I was like, you know what? I got, I got some shoes to fill. I'm going to do my best. So <clears throat> I didn't really know what my purpose was going to be or where my place was going to be in the police department, but I just knew I was going to give it hundred percent the day that I committed to actually doing it. The moment they gave me the opportunity, uh, you know, to give, to backtrack on that, like I didn't originally get, hired the chief actually who's no longer the chief actually overrode the decision not to hire me which I still to this day believe it was an ace for my father but like my father would never admit that because he wants me to take full credit for what I've accomplished and um uh but with that as soon as I was given that I was like I'm about to go all in and I'm gonna make my father proud and I'm gonna you know I don't know what I'm gonna <laughs> I don't know where my purpose is set or what, what my reasoning is. Um, at this time, I didn't really have faith tied in strong. Um, like I didn't have, I wasn't following, uh, you know, I grew up kind of without religion. So I didn't really have like that path either. So I didn't really feel like, uh, you know, I, I just didn't really didn't know. So, but I was just like, I'm gonna go all in. Whatever's asked of me, I'm gonna do. And, you know, and I'll kind of lead from there. So moving beyond that, um, moving beyond that, it took a while. So what I didn't realize is, is that, you know, although I was doing pretty well in my career, um, the demons in my closet had not been addressed. Right. So there are things like I kind of mentioned insecurities I had in high school, uh, you know, kind of other things like that, self-esteem, all those kind of things. Um, what I did not realize is that because of the traumas you experience in this job, those were going to indirectly come back out and you're going to have to face them. Right. So that happened to me. Um, I had gotten myself in a groove with work where I was really good at work, but I didn't have my home life cleaned up. Um, if that makes sense. So in the eyes of my employer and my sergeants, I was squared away. I was getting things done, what I need to do. But when I came home, the laundry was not done. The bed was not made. The beers were opened, <laughs> you know, the video games were opened and that, and, and that became my decompressing mechanism, which I did not know at the time was extremely unhealthy. So, um, 
but yeah, I mean, I, when I first got into it, um, I went all in. I just wanted, honestly, I, at first, I just wanted to make my father proud. I wanted to make myself proud um, because I just stepped into an admirable profession. Um, and then, but it took a couple of years, like I'm seven years in, it took a couple of years before I really found out what my purpose was for being in law enforcement. So. Well, I got to commend you on that, man. I mean, you've been very honest and that's what this, uh, that's, that's where this job is going to tie you up. It could be seven years. It could be three years. It could be 17 years from now. If you're honest with yourself and how long are you not going to be honest with, with yourself to let those demons keep doing push-ups in the closet, right? Let them keep getting a swell on and kind of control you. Um, you know, talk about drinking. I mean, I can attest to that a thousand percent. So you're definitely not alone on that point. And I'm glad you brought up that, you know, cracking that cold can and sitting down and that's major coping is coping mechanisms for a lot of guys and girls right now is video games um, and drinking. And like, you, you know, you, you, you've had Dr. Gilmartin on your show. Um, mm -hmm. Talk about the magic chair, right? You're not mm -hmm. even, you don't even know what the hell is going on. You're so focused in that game and, or maybe you're not, you know, maybe you're playing and you're not even, you're not even like thinking about the game. You're thinking about something else, but you're like a, a robot, you're an autopilot. Um, so now a personal question, I guess, um, do you still drink today? No. Um, well, this is kind of new, I guess, new year, new me, right? <laughs> um, I was drinking a lot and then I tapered it down a lot, like to where I really wasn't drinking that much at all. Um, and then I actually have hypothyroidism, which is actually new to me in the, in the past two years. So it really messes up my thyroid when I drink. So I kind of took a testament starting this month that I just wasn't going to drink, period. Um, I believe that I'd already had the drinking under control prior to that. But now I was like, it's not even a point for me to have a beer or two if I'm going to feel like shit for the next three days. So, Amen. So, you're, uh, so, so you've been dry all of January? Been dry all January. And I'll be honest, like I haven't craved it either. So, um, you know. For you, man. That's, that's, that's a big one. Yeah, man. Congrats, congrats on that, man. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, drinking is built into our culture as law enforcement, uh, specifically, yeah, and first responders and military. It's kind of the way that, like, we used to call it choir practice. I know they still do it. Uh, I was just about to say that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I didn't feel, you know, you, you can, to harp on that a little bit, you can feel like you're not a part of the group if you're not out there getting blasted after a long three, you know, you know, you know, three days, 12s, you know, you get that last, you work at midnights. I mean, now I look back, I'm like, who gets, who gets blacked out at 5 a.m.? You know, <laughs> you know, like who does that? Right. But shit, a couple of years ago, that was the bread and butter. That was, that was us coming together to, to uh, handle the trauma the best way we know how, because that's a part of our culture, but it's, that's definitely not the way to do it. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine back then a few years ago, if someone was like, if I was, in your department, and I was like, "Hey, Dylan, you want to come back to my house and talk about what everything just went on and uh, put on Netflix or everything?" I'm like, who's this fucking guy? Get this weirdo away from me! Yeah. You know what I mean? And exactly. it's it's so simple to get all five six guys to go to a bar, drink, and what they're gonna drink, and what are we gonna talk about? We're gonna talk about the damn job. 
over and yeah. over and over and over again. And it's going to be instilled in our brain. So when we leave and we're feeling good in quotes, we're going to go home, fall asleep, wake up, probably not go to the gym, go back to the job. Same thing, the job, the job, the job, the job, the job. And then what, you know, that's not the point of life. This is that's not the point of this job. Um, and unfortunately, that's how it's in, it's installed in, like you said, in a, in a lot of us. And it takes, uh, it's hard to change. Like you said, uh, you know, that's really, really awesome that you've been dry January. Um, we're actually doing a thousand hour dry challenge where it's up till February 11th. And, um, you know, we'll have like this little red for responders, 1000 hour dry, um, coin. So hopefully you, uh, you know, get to February 11th and we'll, we'll send you one of those. And that's really cool stuff, man. Uh, I just hit 16 months and it's definitely, wasn't easy for me. They usually say the first 90 days is the toughest part mentally. The mental obsession gets, uh, um, elevated to a certain extent. Now they're saying it's like 120 to 150 days where you don't think about it as much, you know? Um, but every, every person's brain is different. Um, but yeah, today's like day three for me. Jay's going to laugh. Day three of no grizzly or skull. And, uh, oh, I, wow. and, and wow. uh, I, have to, I have to remember that. Uh, so when I went to the farm, I picked up chewing, right? And I never smoked. I never chewed. Uh, so I replaced, you know, the booze with, with the, with the dipping. And it was like, a, it's for like over a year and a half, probably close to two years in April. It's been like a 10 a day. And, uh, I would stop, Oof. say, I'm going to stop, um, get to day five and be like, Oh, I'm getting a little, you know, I'm like, I'm getting, I'm getting like a little headache and stuff. I'll put it in. And then like, it just came to a point where I was like, I get to the gas station. I get it. I put it in my car. I'm driving I'm like, wow. Right autopilot i just got it like it's not even like a thought you just go and do it and like yeah. i'm not letting this control my life i'm not looking to let this control me anymore you know seven dollars a day right for set for seven days it's 49 dollars it's 50 dollars a week 200 dollars a month 200 times Oof. 12 is 2400 dollars a year i could save all right now you want to talk numbers how you doing so not only for my pocket <laughs> but for my brain it's like i'm not gonna let something like this can like uh, take over. I already made it this far with alcohol. I was like, you know what? I don't need this. I don't, I don't, I don't need this. Right. I'm going to be, I'm going to get through this. So once I get through that two week mark, um, I think it'll, it'll feel better, you know, like, all right, but it's not easy. Change is not easy. And I know, you know, and, and, and Jay knows uh, it's very hard just to change one habit and uh can't do it alone like i talk about it in the responder talk groups like i gotta stop this you know and let me um you know, let me ask a question up. frankie um i only know like you know frankie like this version of frankie what uh what type of um oh that's my dog i'm sorry about that um i only know about uh hey enough <laughs> i only know um like, you know, this version of Frankie, what, like, what, what type of guy were you when you were drinking? Cause I like, you know, I just, I'm, I, I don't know that version of you. I only know this guy. And I mean, I love this version of Frankie. So I don't know what the other version was like. I mean, to be honest, I would get happier, you know, I was very loving and caring more well, like to the extent where I just want to talk to everybody and love everybody. But then at the same point, it's like, it wasn't, 
you know, two or three. If it was two or three, it was like 13 to 20, you know? And um, oh, shit. Okay. you would just, there was no stopping it, man. It's like, like it was just keep going. There was no, mm-hmm. there was no stopping it. And then, um, you know, you say things to people you don't mean, you regret, you have the guilt and shame over and over again. Um, and it's crazy because a lot of the times I wouldn't do anything wrong, but I would feel so guilty and shameful. Like I was committing a sin in my, like my heart and my stomach was like a knot. And it, cause I knew it was wrong. Like I just knew it was wrong, but I was so, I love to do it because it made me like what Dylan said, I could be, I can have fake confidence. I could say whatever I want. Oh, Frankie's here, you know, all right, let's line them up boys. Shots on me. Like if you're drinking with me, like it wasn't just your, it was a, it was a, a a fun time, but a disaster. So it's only a matter of it becomes a fun time. And then when I started coping with it, that's when that fun time became very dark. And now in my, the taste in my mouth and in my brain is the last time I drank, um, you know, almost caused me to lose my job, almost caused me to lose Christina, my girlfriend who came back into my life, almost caused me to lose my friends, almost made me get from 185 to 165 to 215. And then back down to 180. I'm like 178 now. So it's like a crazy transformation that I don't want this to control my life anymore because I know that I'm powerless against it. It's my kryptonite and I had to surrender to it. You know, like I said it on a podcast before, it's like you're going to go to a ring with Conor McGregor and like, you know, every single time you're going to get your ass whooped. Like you have to be insane to keep doing it and doing it and doing it. You know, it's like the same thing. Like that's insanity doing the same thing over again, expecting different results. And that's what was happening to me. Like saying, I think I can handle it. I, I will, I will, you know, trip blackout for two weeks, drink in on the weekends, then take two weeks off. Oh, I feel better now. I'm okay. But no, that's just not for me. Is that if I pick up one after this podcast, for like, yo, Jay, Dylan, let's meet up. We'll just have like two drinks. It's not going to be two. Right. And I, and that's what I have to remember to myself every day I wake up. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I look at it. And once it becomes a, a um, a coping mechanism like oh i had a long day at work i just had two collars i'm really tired or you know i crazy domestics or this like that once you go home and you're driving home thinking about what i'm going to drink to me that's an issue right it's not about how much you drink or what you drink it's what happens to you when you drink so if your job your girlfriend or relationship your your boyfriend your husband your wife um your inner peace is getting disrupted by this that's a spiritual awakening right there. That's now it's like, it's up to you to do this. And it's one of the hardest things to beat because the statistics say that big statistic guy, as you guys know, is that like over 90% of people in recovery, they don't make it. They go back out. And that's crazy. Wow. I didn't even know that. Really crazy. It was that high. Yeah. It takes the the average person to get it right in the 90 days, 3.5 rehabs. So when I was in the hospital, it was like, a rehab for two weeks and like it was like the last second they're like oh why didn't you tell us you're drinking because you're a major depression well because i didn't think it was an issue like dylan said right and i oh you should have told us in the beginning so i go to this little rehab and then i got out and of course picked up a few times and then i went to the high watch recovery center in connecticut and uh so i was at like two i guess right under and uh you know, September 23rd, 26, 2019 is the last time I picked up. And uh, I don't want to be another statistic, right, Dylan? And right after this, we'll hop right into one less org. I don't want to be another statistic from drinking, from my job, from anything. Um, I, 
with the job, of course, you know, the statistics are crazy and with drinking. And so as long as I don't pick up, I go to my meetings, I have these podcasts, I go to work, I lift, I control what I put into my, in my body. So I can control not picking up a drink. I can control what nutrition I'm putting in my body. I can control what weightlifting I'm doing. I can control if I show up and make a meeting. I can control if I show up and go to work. It's just showing up and the rest will fall into place. Everything else in life I can't control. And that's how I look at it. And that's how hopefully a lot of people start looking at it. Like we can't even control what like my girlfriend is thinking or her actions. All we could do is react and then say, okay, sit with it for a little bit and say, How's, how do I feel? You know, it's a lot of the time it's, it's really not us. So kind of swing into that. It's a perfect, you know, I'll throw the, I'll throw the 40, 40 yard uh, post to Dylan. Um, you can talk to us <laughs> a little bit how one, one less org started. And I'm, I'm really excited to hear about this and the whole mission and everything about it. So hit us with it. Yeah. I'm about to piggyback that hardcore bro. So I yeah, chewed for it, on and off for seven years. So I get that a hundred percent. Matter of fact, the thing that made me quit was I was actually drunk <laughs> and uh, I, I was, I was, you know, you get in that depressed state. I was the same way. You, I go out and drink, give me like three. I'm the best time of your life. Give me four or more. I'm the worst thing you ever brought to the table. And that's me. And that's the same way. Like when I used to go out, like I was like, all right, I got to at least take like four shots before I go out. So I'm good. And then, and then the insecurities are still there. They're right in front of you. It's like, it's like, Oh, I, one more drink before I go talk to that girl. Or one more, you know what exactly. I mean? Like, it's just yeah. like, and then, and then before you know it, you're like, by the time you even think about talking to that girl, you're too sloshed. Like, you got to, you know, like, you're, you got to go home. Yeah, that and, liquid uh, courage, right? That liquid courage isn't really yeah. there. And it was just, man, like, alcohol crippled my life. I'll tell you, even in this relationship that I'm in now, um, like, the biggest mistake I ever made in the relationship was due to me being intoxicated. The biggest one ever. And if I look at, if I break my life down and I go, these are all the worst things I've Dylan has ever done. They're all based off of alcohol, bro. All of them, all of them. Like I, in a sober mind, I wouldn't do half the shit that I did when I was drunk. So, and that, and, and the crazy thing is, is like, and then I'll get into one less, but this is really going to uh, go right into it. The other thing is, is that alcohol through our society has been attached to our masculinity. So, and I've noticed that. So for example, like, and, and, and personally, like I grew up with a bunch of, I grew up in, in, in an alcoholic family and like my grandfather, heavy alcoholic, you know? Um, so I already have kind of like the genes to, to get, get into that. But, um, but like in my head, I'm like, oh, if I'm a man, I'm gonna get off work and have a scotch on the rock. So I would like switch up the alcohol. <laughs> like I'm like, you know what? Instead of drinking Natty Lights today, I'm going to have a stiff drink because that's what a man would do. And then before I know it, I'm having like seven of them and I'm on the couch like half dead. Like, <laughs> you know, so it's just crazy to me, like uh, how much it'll, it'll, it'll go on that. And, and kudos to you for all that, man, because that's freaking hard, man. Like the, and, and, and I'll go, I'll probably dive into this a little bit more later, but uh, actually, let me just go into one less and then we'll get there. <laughs> like I'm getting worked up. Like I, this is amazing, man. Like I, like, you know, once again, like, I didn't know anything about you before I hopping into podcasts, but we have so much in common already. I can already tell why the three of us have this mission. And it's because we have similar experiences that are, that, that we've worked ourselves through and are still working through. We're still imperfect and that we want to make sure that we can get officers to at least the level we're at, or if not more. So let's dive into one less. All right. So 
So I had an all-time low a few years back. Um, like I said, the, the, the routine of handling drama and or, or trauma, not drama, but and drama, <laughs> incorrectly through alcohol and all that. So basically, um, my first couple of years in law enforcement, my it, it was the same shit every day, right? So I would go to work, whatever the whatever came with work, I would get home, especially when I was working at midnights. Uh, I get off work, and then I drink play video games, drink. And sometimes like I was really into, into the division. So I would go, I would stay for three days straight playing a game. Like it was bad. And now I can't even do that. Like it's not even possible, but like, that's where I was. And so my coping mechanisms and what I started to realize was, dang, the more that I, uh, you know, keep these habits up, like, like the more, the more, the shittier the day of the job was, the harder I'd game, the harder I'd drink. So, and that was just a thing for me in repetition. And I just keep doing it, keep doing it. And relationships that I had with friends were built around drinking and video games. Right. So, um, so it was just like, became a natural thing. Now, also I started looking into different avenues of work other than law enforcement, because I was like, Oh, I need more money. Oh, I need more of this. So I'm going to be, man, I don't know. Like I, I, at, one th- at one point I thought I was, I was going to sell, forget it, my mom thinking of probably nuts. She thought I was going to sell water filtration systems, like part-time. I was going to be, a, I went to a realtor seminar. I was going to be a realtor part-time. Like I was going to all these freaking things and I like all because I was trying to escape the job. Like it had nothing to do with coping correctly. Like with, you know, like, as you guys know, as you start to manage your life better, the job actually gets a little bit easier to an extent. Um, and, and it becomes more purposeful. Like you actually enjoy going to work. So uh, all these avoidant strategies, uh, you know, I continue to drink, continue to play video games, but I'm going to be a realtor. Okay. <laughs> you know? Um, so basically it got to a point where I was reading all these business books. And, uh, and one thing that really stuck to me was like manifesting, right? So if you think something long enough, it'll come into fruition. Well, unfortunately for me, that came with suicidal thoughts. So for me, I remember specifically, I was sitting on my couch and um, there wasn't any one necessary thing that happened. It was just, I think it was just the final debrief with myself. And for the, not the first time in my life, but for the first time in a very long time, specifically since middle school, I had a very clear suicidal thought and it hit me like a ton of bricks. And uh, I used to keep my, my uh, issued firearm in my, uh, like in my cupboard because I live alone. So like I just had it like in my cupboard and I had like a safe in there and I had like, you know, it was like my dump spot. Um, and I didn't grab my firearm or anything like that, but I had a distinct thought. It was like, you know, you ain't shit, Dylan. Like you could end it now. And that thought scared the shit out of me. I mean, like to the point where like, I was like, I need to do something. Like I need to turn this around because I didn't necessarily, I had the thought, but I didn't want to act on it. Do you know what I mean by that? So like, I didn't actually want to do that, but uh, I had, I did believe that if you manifest a thought long enough, it'll happen. And I'm like, how many times am I going to have this thought before it happens? And I don't even have control over it. And that was the, that was the thing that made me go, I need to, I need to swap some shit up. 
Like I need to, I need to fix this fast because I have a big family. I have a loving family. Um, you know, immediately in that moment, I started counting my blessings. I was like, look, I have all these things going for me. I have a good job. I have, you know, a loving family. Like what, what I need to, I need to clean this shit up. So I immediately reached out to a sergeant and uh, went to go get therapy. Now I went to our therapy session. I had one therapy session. And when I tell you this was a terrible therapy session, it was, but I was open-minded. Like I was really open-minded. I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out. Like, let's get, let's get it. <laughs> and uh, I ended, we ended up, I don't know what it is about me, but apparently like I turned into the therapist and she was telling me about her problems and, you know, I left there going, wow, I made her feel a lot better, but I still feel the same. Um, she made a comment. Like, she was like, feel free to uh, shoot me an email if you need anything, but don't shoot me. And I was like, okay, like that's fucked up. Like, I, <laughs> you know, like who says that, right? Like who, who says that? So I didn't lose my want to get better. I just decided not to go through therapy. So for the next year and a half or so uh i started reading a lot of books on wellness i got a whole freaking bookshelf over here of books and i started putting practices into place i started to drink less i started to work out more i started to work on my diet a little bit more um and and you know you know the term it rains it when it rains it pours as soon as i started getting a little bit better like and i was like oh no you know i'm all right and the thoughts started to kind of get away they're still there but they kind of like subsided a little bit i was able to bandage them more and mind you, this wasn't through professional help. So I'm not, see, I'm not, I'm not definitely not uh, pushing this as an option uh, or, or like as a, as a better option. I think I would have been better off if I would have just tried therapy again and done it the right way. But um, basically uh, then I got, I got sick. So uh, I ended up having, so right when I thought I was getting better, I, get, I ended up getting mono. Uh, that mono, I was living uh, as a, a residential officer in a government project housing area for quite a few years. I actually just moved out of there. Um, I ended up having black mold in my apartment. So all the time that I was spending lethargic in my house actually uh, turned into me having sinus issues. I ended up having a sinus surgery. Uh, and, and basically, I was just like a complete soft cluster. And, and, and meanwhile, I was on antibiotics every month like a year and a half um because the doctor just didn't know what was wrong with me really what they did was like false diagnosed me i had developed hypothyroidism which I, I can't prove this but i'm pretty sure it's due to my excessive alcohol um uh consumption to be quite honest um just because of where it's located in the body and how negatively alcohol impacts your thyroid secondly i was dealing with sinus issues but the com combination of both made me feel extremely fatigued i didn't feel like a man I mean, even to the point where I didn't have a freaking sex drive, like I was just crippled. Um, but I, I will give kudos to myself in the sense that I was still resilient. So I like needed to figure something out because suicide was not a freaking option. Right. Um, and I'd already worked so hard to get through that, that I had to figure it out. So it ended up turning into a blessing. Uh, my sergeant at the time was like, look, and, and at this point, I had already somewhat found my purpose. I jumped from being a patrol officer into our community. Uh, outreach division. Um, and that gave me more flexibility to, to start developing uh, a teen program, which I do for teens, but not the, not to steer away from one less. Um, I still have my purpose, but I still just had some funk going on. Well, 
I worked my way out of that using the same practices that I'd learned in the books. And then uh, eventually I like, I got to a good spot. So last year I was in a really good spot mentally. I, I started getting back in the gym again. Like I kind of figured out my thyroid stuff and everything else and, and was getting regulated. And I was sitting there and uh, I was scrolling through Instagram and uh, I followed Blue Help. Um, so I was scrolling through Instagram and Blue Help had made a post about uh, suicide awareness in law enforcement. And, and, and then they started showing the numbers. And, uh, and that moment in time was when I need, and, and I had already thought about doing one less, but it was more of like a shower thought. It wasn't something I was actually going to put into place. And I was like, you know what? I believe I built myself up to a, to a point where, you know, I can give back now and something clearly still needs to be done because even as we can see in this month alone, that we're still losing at a rapidly rate, uh, you know, to this demon. So I, I went all in, like I said, just like when I joined the police department, I went all in. I was like, I'm going all in. I'm talking about, I was on legal zoom that day. <laughs> like I, I, I put in the one less was a shower thought and really what it came down to was one less suicide. That's what it was. Um, and that's what it is. Um, but it, you can pertain that and flip that into anything. And I'll get into like our mission in, in a second. So, um, Basically, I hop on LegalZoom. I start doing all the paperwork. I have no idea what I'm doing. I didn't know I had to have partners with me to start a nonprofit. So I ended up incorporating uh, two good friends of mine into it um, and, and started to get the ball rolling on that. And then I was like, oh, man, I'm going to do a podcast. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Um, and I got the shirts printed. I got the logo going. I got a tattooed on my arm. I was like, I'm in. I'm all in. We're going to get this going. Um, I started making connection. I started networking with people and I started to realize that everybody in this community is, 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 it's just so awesome. You know what I mean? Like the connections, I'm sure you've made connections through this journey. Like there's so many of us struggling and so many of us that want to turn a new leaf and get things going that every single person that I've actually asked for assistance when getting this started has genuinely wanted to help me like from the bottom of their hearts. Um, and I'm like, damn, like that's, I'm not used to that. You know what I mean? Like it, it so, so I started to build what I wanted one less to be. Cause I kind of branded it before I knew I wanted, I, I knew what I wanted it to be. And originally it was going to be just for law enforcement. And that's why the original logo was one less and it had a blue line through it. And then I was like, you know what? I want to open up this to all first responders and military. And so we, we divided it in every, every line. Um, in the one less there uh, represents a different uh, aspect of the first responder military. So we have everything in there from, from dispatchers to correction officers to uh, mil military to law enforcement to medics to nurse everything. So then I really had to fine tune my mission because yeah, I branded myself. I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do, but how did I want to do it? And so what one less is becoming is we have uh, different pillars uh, of, of how we want to tackle things. One is uh, the main, the main idea is one less wants to be a family. So once you enter the one less family, you have already decided to take that step to start uh, using the toolkits that we have to better yourself. Um, and then we also want to be a central hub of, of resources. So uh, one less is taking more of a broad approach to the issue. 
where we want to collaborate with a bunch of different organizations who already are, um, you know, maybe experts in what they're trying to do. Like, for example, if like a veteran needs housing, well, one less might not be able to facilitate that, but I maybe at this point, and this is all still a brainstorming because we haven't got there yet, but maybe we, we already have a partnership with a nonprofit that does that. So we can just put you in the right direction. So we kind of want to be that. So our main mission is to get law, get first responders into a mental space where they accept the mission of getting better. And I believe that God has granted me a unique voice to be able to do that uh, by sharing my story through podcasts, um, uh, through like, chat rooms, like for example, that uh, Jay and I just uh, came up with, um, uh, which I can get to get into later. But basically what One Less is, is to make people a part of a family where they've already agreed they want to better themselves and then we provide them with the resources to do so. And then if there's any specific needs of that individual, like as far as needing to go, uh, you know, to an actual center to seek, seek treatment, or anything like that, we can build partnerships so we already have those in place and then have grants and scholarships together so that we can actually pay their tuition to go to these different places. That is the notion. We wanna be the central hub. We wanna be, um, uh, and we are going to be, um, we, we want, we, <laughs> it's going to be the central hub for all resources for first responders and military. You can come to one less, and you can get anything you need. We're a one-stop shop. Um, I don't know if you guys know what Kaiser is. Do you know what Kaiser is? Like the, <laughs> okay. Uh, basically Kaiser is, is a help, and I'm only bringing this because basically if you're with Kaiser, you go to one building and all of your resources are there. Like instead of going to different doctors for different things, everything's in one building. Now, this might be a bad analogy because I don't really like Kaiser because I quit them. I have new, I have, you know? <laughs> but one less wants to be that one-stop shop, right? So we want to be that one-stop shop where you can come to one less and we'll have toolkits. Um, so through our podcast, um, you know, it's, it's kind of giving an outlet for first responders to talk about their experiences um, and to become vulnerable. I think that's where... Um, like at least what I'm going to be doing is opening up that uh, option for for people to become more vulnerable. And then once they are vulnerable, we can start giving them the resources. Because the biggest issue that I notice, especially with law enforcement, is that we're a bunch of type A individuals. Uh, and, and sometimes the men being worse at this than the women, but we, we put a, a face of masculinity in front of our mental health um, that shields us from getting any help because we think that we're weak. And that really, and, and I want one less to be the pride that breaks that so that we can actually get, uh, you know, first responders the help that they need. Um, and that's, that's the main mission of one less. And the end result of that is being one less suicide. Um, you know, we have, this re we have this profession right now that you know is extremely rewarding if we allow it to be. Um, and, and my goal is for myself personally is I don't want to be that disgruntled veteran that gets out 25 years and hates my life and is out of shape and you know like what you're telling me I just did all those years of selfless service to live my life like shit when I retire or live my life like shit while I'm in the job 
I mean, you already give so much to the job that, you know, we deserve, I do believe that we deserve, uh, you know, to, to live, a, a, you know, a happy, somewhat ordinary life. Like, you know, I, I believe that we deserve that. And I put that pedestal on a higher than the everyday person because of what we experience and we sacrifice for the betterment of others. And I, I want to be able to drive that home with first responders uh, so that they realize that. And, you know, and what I also realized is, you know, especially with the current climate of law enforcement specifically, I believe we have a lot less rogue officers than we, than we do actually just officers who are struggling. And that's why they have a really hard time doing their job efficiently because they're struggling internally and they've lost their sense of purpose and their mission and the reason for why they joined the job in the first place. And that's causing them to have uh, a jaded view while on shift and is, and, and is unfortunately contributing to the community not feeling that they're supported by their own police. And I do, so I believe that if we conquer the, the mental health mission, you know, there's certain things that the average person needs to incorporate in their life to have a successful lifestyle. They have to be eating healthy. They have to be, uh, they have to be uh, involved in physical fitness, some form of physical fitness. And this has all been backed by science. And then on, on top of that, you have to have some connection to spirituality. That might be an option for the everyday person, but for first responders, that is a necessity. The only way that we can survive and thrive in this, in these constant, uh, you know, exposures to different traumas and, and, and solving the world's problems, essentially, because we've been caught in the middle of politics too, is by having those at home lifestyles set in stone, by cutting out the drinking, by cutting out any excessive tobacco use or anything that's a, that's, that's a, you know, a negative stimulant. Um, and so that we can gain full control of our lives and really live the lives we deserve to live because we're giving so much of ourselves to others. And so that's kind of, uh, you know, the roundabout way of one less, um, what it's, what it's striving to be. And, um, if anybody goes, uh, to our website, which is still being built, um, uh, or anything like that, uh, and you notice that there's inconsistencies in our podcast, um, basically last year when I decided to ramp it up is actually the same time that America decided to catch on fire. So getting pulled from those responsibilities and going through my own, uh, mental, you know, pretty much trials and tribulations through everything we've been experiencing the past year, I did put one less on the back burner and prioritize myself. And so there has been a big gap. And luckily now that the chaos is kind of subdued, um, you know, I, now I feel like I'm in a better position and I know that I'm in a better position uh, to move forward with this. And I know that if I don't do this, my purpose isn't going to be fulfilled and I'm always going to just have that cloud above me. Um, uh, and for all the listeners, you know, um, you know, when it comes to seeking help, I can tell you as somebody who is not only a community outreach officer, but is also now we call it SOT, but commonly known as a SWAT operator. You can, you can get help. Like, and I, and I'm saying that to break that stereotype, you know, uh, you know, cause we build that upon ourselves. Um, and I'm not saying that to gloat myself up, but being a part of one of the, 
most difficult positions in our department to get after and probably the most alpha macho position you can be in. I'm telling you from that as a operator in training, I'm still getting help. I go to therapy once a week. So if I can do that, then, then anybody can do that. Uh, you should never ever get to a point, I know because I've been there, should never get to a point where you're questioning your own, and this is more derived towards men, but you should not ever question your own masculinity to seek help. And on top of that, you should never, um, and, I, and, and of course we're gonna do it anyway, so I'm saying you should never, but we're gonna do it anyway. You also don't let it hinder your, uh, your ideas about yourself about being able to do the job effectively. If anything, by you seeking help, you're going to be able to be there for your other uh, coworkers more than you ever know. So, um, so yeah, that's pretty much a roundabout of, of one less. It's really wonderful stuff, man. It's really, really is. Um, you know, going back to in the beginning, though, when you talk about the therapist uh, before we get into one less, is uh, happens to a lot of people. Same thing with even fellowship groups like AA or NA, they might not find a group that works for them or they might not find a therapist that works for them. Um, but it's like going to college and different things. You apply to multiple just because one doesn't work. You keep going. Same thing with gyms, right? If relationships don't work out, what, oh, it didn't work out. I'm just going to be by myself forever. You know, um, same thing with these organizations. Like, hey, we're all, like I said, there's so many organizations all over the country like reps, one less, you know, you, you, you don't, you come to reps, you don't like reps. Okay. Go to one less. You know what I mean? Let's work together. Don't just have one bad taste in your mouth. Uh, Cause what Dylan said is a hundred percent true. I mean, the journey he came from is now he's in SWAT. Um, he's doing great. And think about it as, Am I going to just go and man up in quotes, in quotes, and go to therapy once a week? Or am I going to drink three, four days a week? What is really more powerful, right? Because in the beginning, it's going to suck. It's going to be hard. You have to face it head on. If you don't face it head on, you're deflecting all the time. You're never going to grow. And you might never have a chance to go in a, in a SWAT or become a community outreach officer or anything like that. Um, and for anyone listening, like Dylan admitted it, and I've admitted it in the past, like one in four police officers have suicidal ideations, thoughts, right? They don't act on it, thoughts in their lifetime, either on the job or when they retire. Um, just out of the three of us here, there's two of us, so 66.6 .6 repeating percent, right, in this group has had it. And uh, we're still here. And I don't think we're sur surviving. I think me and and um, this is not egotistic, but I think me and Dylan are thriving. And it's because of the work and the years and the responsibility and everything that we had to say is that we don't want to be another statistic, right? I refuse not to be another statistic. Uh, so Dylan, I really commend you and, and, uh, and thank you, you know, for sharing your story and um, being honest, being very frank with us. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah, man, thank you for that. Um, and sharing the mission statement with us. Like Frank was saying, you know, we want to be able to create a space where 
um, you know, first responders can have multiple options. Like if someone doesn't like reps, and then, you know, they have an issue with reps, they can go to one less. And that's what it's all about, just um, being in a community where we can help one another. Um, because this is a very crucial time for, for uh, men and women in law enforcement because we're in a unique space. You know, there's a lot of division in this country, and we're trying to close that gap. And the only way we can close that gap is having these resources and creating a, a safe space where, where we can come together and, and, and have um, open dialogue, constructive conversation, and people can learn from one another. And, and you know, the guys that are the guys and the and girls that are going through the things that they're going through because of the job need to have multiple avenues in order to get help. I mean, I don't think people don't understand how important that is, you know, because when one door is closed, if somebody really needs to get to somebody, um, you know, that person is going to need to have another option. And, and this is why, you know, we, we, we kind of create this space. I mean, you know, we were in that, that clubhouse meeting the other day, man. And um, like I said, somebody sent me a DM that was in there and um, you know, a lot of the stuff that you were talking about, you know, he mentioned, you know, hey, he wanted to get access to that book that you mentioned. And, you know, he was just looking for for a way to deal with, deal with what he was dealing with, you know, and I thought that was just pretty awesome that we were able to have that, you know, quick little hour conversation on Clubhouse. And, you know, somebody took something from it, you know. You literally could have one less, <laughs> you know, literally. And, and to go back uh, you know, uh, on, uh, and harp on what you're saying, Frank, is, you know, you got to be willing to put in the work. This shit takes work. I mean, it's not easy. You're not going to be, you know, like you got to wake up every morning and you got to be ready to get to work. Um, the same way that you put in when you're going to a hot call, you got to put that in your own mental health. Like that is essential. Uh, and if anything, that should make you feel empowered because it's not easy to accomplish. That should empower you to want to get help and to get better because of how much work you have to put in. And that's why, you know, you know, uh, you know, Frank, you, uh, Jay, myself, we have all reaped the benefits of putting in the work. And let me tell you something right now, there's a lot more work to be put <laughs> to get done. It's a never ending journey. And that kind of scares people. I mean, I get it, but you're gradually working your way up. It's kind of like just putting like a couple of dollars in your savings account. Next thing you know, 10 years later, you're like, damn, I got some money in here. Like it's the same thing. You're contributing to that every day. But the cool thing about it now is social media has allowed us to really open it up so that you don't have to go through it alone. You can put in the work and put in the hours and then reach out to us and then, you know, and be like, yo, I, man, I just did this or I just did that. Like, look, we dropped a bunch of gems in that clubhouse session. There are things that Jay do that, like, I don't even do. I didn't even know. So I, I wrote those things down. I was like, yo, I'm going to start incorporating that in my life and in, in what I'm doing because that's going to that's going to skyrocket my ability to cope with some of the things that I've been dealing with. And, you know, and, and, and I think that's important to harp on because, you know, all of us have put in a lot of work, but it's also important for everybody to understand, especially the individuals who are new or who are just getting into this and are, you know, hopefully inspired by the messages we've given that like, we're still working. It's not like we made it. And now we're there. Like I still deal with my shit. I still got demons in the closet. Like they're still there. They're very prevalent. And I deal with those and every day I got to chip away at it. And then I can almost, you know, it kind of builds me up because I feel better about myself because I did put in that work. Um, 
And honestly, putting in the work has given us all the confidence to be honest about our situation. I, I can't tell you. I, I, didn't, I didn't say shit to nobody the first year. Nothing. Nobody knew. My sergeant knew. He kept it under wraps. Nobody knew. I didn't open up to anybody. The only reason that I even feel comfortable telling, you know, other guys that I work with that I meditate <laughs> or like that I, that I keep a journal or that, you know, you know, all these other little practices that I put into place that might, you know, because of our culture, make us appear to be weak. The only reason I feel comfortable doing that is because I put, because I had to put in the work to believe in myself enough to be able to give back. And I'm telling you, there's nothing more rewarding. And I know all three of us, or, or you know, yeah, all three of us agree on this. There's nothing more rewarding than like what just happened in that clubhouse meeting where you just had that one guy who was just like, yo, thank you. Like, you know, I, I'm open to the idea of getting these resources. Like that's everything. Even if it's just one person, like that is everything because yeah. we've reaped the, uh, the benefits and a, a little bit from what we've put in to play. And that has, and we want other people to feel that. It's just an amazing feeling. Yeah, man. Um, that's why, you know, that's why, you know, I spoke to you yesterday about it because, um, you know, that one person, that's the difference right there. You know, if we can't move the masses, oh, well, but if you, if you help one person, you know, that is, I think to me, that is the ultimate sign of, of like, Hey, what you're doing is absolutely, is absolutely working. It, you know, one person then multiplies itself. And so, uh, you know, anything that we can do to, to like help one less by all means, man, like we're here to, we're here to help, you know, the cross pollination is what it's all about. Um, you know, Frankie got me involved in, in, in reps and, you know, it all came from word of mouth. You know, he worked with a guy that, that I knew and, you know, he, he believed that the, that he and I had the same mission statement. So then Frankie just reached out to me and look, we're sitting here now on a podcast, you know, getting another organization involved. It has to start somewhere like that. That narrative has to start somewhere. And, you know, right now, more than ever, we need to partake in these types, in these type of like activities, this type of fellowship is needed right now. And, um, you know, on, on all aspects, not even just from a first responder, you know, situation is, is we, as human beings, we all need to sit down and have these conversations with one another and offer help because everybody's hurting in some, in some shape, form or fashion. The problem is people don't have the proper out, um, outlets. You know, I'm, you know, listening to your story and listening to Frankie, Frankie's stories, like two guys from two different places experience the same thing. And you guys want, you sought help. And now we're all sitting in a room where we're like, all right, so this is what we need to do so that this doesn't happen to the guys that follow us, you know, the guys that come behind us, the second generation, or the guys that are, you know, are in the same workspace that, that need that outlet, you know, maybe you guys wouldn't have went down that road if you had that outlet a little earlier. We don't know what the outcome would have been, but nonetheless, you guys got the help that you guys needed. But I see in both of you guys that you, you, you don't want people to experience what you guys experienced. And this is why you, you guys have created this, this, these organizations. And it's guys like you that make the world a better place because you're putting out resources and helping those who need it. 
you know, instead of you just saying, hey, I went through it, somebody else got to go through it. You guys don't want other people to experience what you went through. So you're creating this, this avenue so that people can help one another. And, uh, you know, I want to take this time to commend both you dudes because you guys are doing a solid job. And, um, you know, I am honored and humbled to know both you dudes. Yeah, I really appreciate that, man. Like, big time. Uh, you know, it's it's a blessing. I take this all as a blessing is that my experience was a blessing because it made me who I am today and it gave me the ability to give back. So I don't regret any of my childhood. I don't regret any of the, any of the dumb stuff I did throughout my lifetime. I believe it put me right here, right now, because the big man upstairs had those plans even before I ever knew it. Um, you know, and to kind of kick this into a, a positive note, uh, what I'm seeing now is that new officers are actually a lot more accepting to the wellness. So if we can start implanting that to, to newer recruits, um, you know, again, oh, yeah, the that, culture is changing for sure. The yeah. culture, culture is definitely, definitely changing. changing. We're watching it because we're in the middle of it. We're between mm -hmm. two different extremes. Um, we're watching it. Uh, so not, I mean, yeah, do I have a lot of concerns for the new guys coming in? Hell yeah, because it's just a different beast, but at least they are more accepting to this. And I believe that as these programs get more popular um, and we put our best foot forward, uh, that it'll, it'll become something where it's just a standard. It's like, all right, bet you're a cop. Well, here's, or you're, or you're a medic or, or you, oh, you decided you want to join the military or any of this. Okay. Well, here's practices that you need to put in place so that your at-home life is good to go. And, and, and it just becomes a standard. I mean, you know, a lot of us work really well that way. I know for me, I work better if I'm just directed. So I know that if I, when I got hired, if somebody would have told me, okay, no, it's not your choice. This is what we're going to do. All right. You're going to get hired. We're going to run you through everything we got to run you through. You're going to check in with a therapist at least once a month. And we're going to get you on a fitness program that you must follow to remain your, keep your law enforcement status. I mean, if all these things were put into place, I wouldn't have known any better. I've been like, let's do it. But, you know, unfortunately, we're not there yet. So, you know, I had to do that on my own. Um, but, you know, as long as, I mean, I'm noticing a lot of programs like this rising up. And, uh, you know, so it does give me like a very, very high hopes for the future. I don't know. Things are looking on the up and up, bro. I mean, the culture, the culture is changing. Like I'm one of those guys, I got 16 years on. So it's like when, when, when I came on, it, this culture didn't exist you know, us three sitting in on a podcast talking about meditating and, and things of that nature, that, that, that didn't happen. Like you said, you know, it was choir practice more than anything. And so, um, I think guys like Frankie and yourself are at the forefront trying to change that culture. And the, the more they see, cause you guys are, you guys are a lot younger than me. The more they see young guys, um, you know, participating in stuff like that, it normalizes it. And I think we've spent, in, in police culture, I think we've spent too much time normalizing things that aren't good for us. And so in order to change that that pattern behavior, you have to start to incorporate the things that are good for you and, and then make that the norm. And, you know, like I said, man, you guys are in a place of enlightenment at a, at a young age. Some men don't find their way until way, way later. And because um, I know when, when I was, you know, 25, 26, 27, I wasn't thinking like this. My brain was not there. And people don't understand too, this is a very 
unique role to put a young man into, you know, you got you, you know, at 21, 22 years old, you know, if you become a cop at that age, you're still trying to figure out who the hell you are. You know what I mean? Like you, you haven't I truly identified with who you are and you're still a kid. If you really think about it on the grand scheme of things. So like, you know, I always tell people I had to learn how uh, you know, I had to grow up pretty quick. Um, but you know, was I really quote unquote grown up? Nah, man, I still had shit I was trying to figure out. But you know, you guys are crushing it. You guys are young men getting after it, and you know, we we need guys like you to change that culture and start to normalize the you know the positive behaviors instead of you know what we've been doing for these last however many years. You know. Amen, Jay. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words before and just now. Um, always, bro. Always. Really appreciate it. And again, always appreciate the being my brother in arms in the labyrinth and being part of reps now officially. And uh, got, a little, got a little wide to crush Saturday. We'll be getting after yeah, I'm gonna, that. I'm going to bring my A game, bro. I'm going to try my hardest. I know. I'm going to keep up with you on that rower. But uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, I refuse to suffer in silence. Right? Let's go. Right, Dylan? Refuse to suffer in silence. Um, uh, Dylan said something great is every day is a learning. Every day we have to grow, right? And we are growing if we let ourselves grow. Uh, the day we were born is the day we started dying. So uh, we, when we fall asleep and we wake up, the sun comes back, right? It comes back up. And if it doesn't come back up, we're not here. And our time is gone. Um, so every day is you have to put in the work. It could be a step. It could be a crawl, but it's better than just being stagnant. Um, and that's how I look at it. Um, I didn't have the best workout today, but I was there, right? What can I go next? What can I do next time? Like Dylan said, there's no regrets in life. And it's a motto. I need to have this tat tatted on me somewhere. Just kidding. No regrets in life, just learning experiences. So if we can take that and, and perceive that and learn and accept what is and what was and not try to force to get the X back or force to, you know, get, go back on that job and change something different, you know, force what I said. Um, I think you'll be more serene with yourself. And um, so Dylan, I just want to thank you so much, man, for coming on, on the show today. But before we wrap up, I have a few more personal questions just to get the listeners to know you a little more. So, so favorite food. Uh, sorry. You have one meal to eat for the rest of your life every day, healthy or un unhealthy. What are you going with? Dude, flat. I'm going to get made fun of so much for this. Go for it. Yeah, if I get one meal for the rest of my life, <laughs> it would be chicken tacos. <laughs> chicken tacos. <laughs> that's that's a first. We, heard, we heard tacos that's before, I feel like, Jay. Yeah, we heard tacos before. I don't think yeah. chicken, but yeah. <laughs> that's not I, bad. Yeah, Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Yeah, my girlfriend makes one meal all the time because I literally, no matter what I eat, I, there's always chicken in there. So I ate a lot of chicken. And so we had chicken tacos. Well, there you go. You want some extra money, man. Build a chicken coop and a chicken farm and start selling that chick <laughs> those chickens and the eggs, man, if you love them. <laughs> uh, uh, favorite movie or two that come to your head right now? 10 seconds. All right. Liar, liar. Okay. And remember the Titans. Yeah, baby. Oh, remember the Titans. That's a good one. I'll take that. You know, with the head, you know, with the head. Sunshine. Wait, you went to high school with who? I went to high school with T.C. Williams. Oh, okay, cool. That's I, cool. I was a Titan dog. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yes, sir. 
uh, one main workout movement, compound barbell lift, supersetted with any accessory every day. Your recovery is always the same. What are you going with? Only these two. So a main lift and an accessory lift. Oh, man. Main lift is going to be bench press. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Got to yeah. work those glamour muscles, baby. That's it, and, then I, and then I'm going to totally just be a total fuckboy on this and, and go to bicep curls. <laughs> those beach muscles, man. For Virginia. That's right. That's right. All right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we wear pants a lot because it doesn't get that hot over here. So you got to keep the, got to keep the up top good squared away. Curls yeah. for the girls, bro. Curls for that's, the girls. I got a right. question. I got a, I got a question. I'm going to, I'm going to add one, uh, Frankie, if you don't mind. Go good sir. Um, if, um, if you're, if your life was a movie, who would you use to play you as an actor and who would you have directed? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. You gotta let him think now. Yeah, see, I see, I see the wheels turning. My man Dylan is, he's got smoke coming from his ears now. I would like The Rock to direct a movie about me. Oh, okay. I'd like, the, I'd like the character to be, uh, uh, I'm gonna say his name wrong, uh, Jason Statham. Oh, it's a little transport action over there. I'll yeah, well, probably because I just watched okay. that movie, but yeah, uh, yo, they do such a badass. <laughs> you know, was that that um, was that that movie that was on? It's on Netflix now. They got like that undercover. Yeah, that undercover like DEA agent, and he ends up in that town somewhere where they're like cooking meth. He's got a Is bunch that the movie of, you're talking about. Well, he's got a bunch yeah. of them, but uh, I, I watched saw that yesterday. Did you? Yeah, I I just watched that the other day. Yeah. It's just badass. Literally, and all the transporters are really good. Um, all the transporters. Wait, movies that wait you're talking about Transport J or Homefront? It was called Homefront. Yeah, Homefront. Yeah. That's the movie I'm talking that's about. That's the one. Say, the say, gotcha, the gotcha, one. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. But if you want to go back to some of his OG movies, you go back to those transports. Those, yeah, those, yeah, those yeah. Are oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, sick. that's what he's known for. But the oh, reason yeah. I would want the Rock in it is because I know that he would bring, he would like have action in there, but he'd also have a lot of heart in there. So like, oh okay, you know what I mean. So like, I because I, I need to balance them out. Like Jason Tatum's like a hundred percent like a just a badass. It's it, if it was gonna, you know, be me, I need I need a little bit more heart in there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I got you. I got you. One person to hang out one. with, dead or alive for the day. As Dylan, now who are you hanging out with? Funny enough, it's probably going to be Tony Robinson. Okay, really? first one. First okay. time. That's the first. That's the first. That's the, first. Uh, the only reason I say that is because when I was getting ready to start, when one less was in fruition, I didn't really have a name for it. I told myself I wanted to be the Tony Robbins of law enforcement. <sighs> okay. I, I can just imagine like having that big conference and all those first responders being like, woo! You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, let's get it. Let's better ourselves. Like, let's get it. We're a family now. Like, so I guess, yeah, maybe that's, that's why I popped up. Take some oh, of those gems from him since he's doing that to the world. <laughs> that's great. Oh, man. Um, well, <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I'll be like, what's your name? The New York show. Like, how you doing? <laughs> uh, what's your name? That does this, the show. I was going to say Ellen DeGeneres. People aren't a fan of her. That's funny. Um, <laughs> not now. Yeah, not now. Uh, you come to New York, right? We open oh. up a tarp. We lift the tarp up. And me and yeah. Jay are like, yo, Dylan, you got a time machine. 
anywhere you want to go, future or past, says Dylan, right now, where are you going? Man, because it hit me with the good ones. I really want to go to like Northern California and hit the mountains a little bit. But what year? Uh, you have a time Ooh, machine. You can go oh, any time year. machine. Yeah, any oh, anywhere in the future machine. or the past. It could be ten years ago. It could be last year. It could be nineteen twenty. It could be two thousand fifty. Man, I'd probably go back. Man, that's a hard one, dude. Let me uh, give me give me like three three seconds to think about this. Hmm. That shit is easy. I don't I know. Pro- I pro- yeah, I don't know. I probably, I probably go back to the age of like Napoleon. Okay. Oh, okay. That's good. And uh, and try to catch some of those 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 ancient, more ancestral vibes, and and see like yeah. how 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 they did it when life was a lot more simple, and you know they okay. just everybody everybody stood uh, stood their ground for their own meaning and kind of uh, you know rewire rewire it that way a little bit. I could dig it. I could dig that. I mean, for me, like, I'm just a history buff, so I want to go some, you know, like, you know, Roman times, you know, kick it with Julius Caesar, something. You know, I'm just one of, I'm one of those dudes. Or like ancient Greece, you know? Yeah. Pick, pick Achilles' brain, you know what I mean? That'd be so dope. You can knock out Brutus. You can knock out Brutus before <laughs> E2 Brutus, you know? Like that. Before he's a traitor. So... Um, Dylan, it was an honor. It was a pleasure. My name is Frank. You guys know where to find me at reps underscore four underscore responders. Got a new website up looking pretty good. Repsforresponders.org. Jay, talk to me. Where can yeah, they find you? Yeah. Um, you know, the real jump man, Jay on Instagram is where you can find me. Um, actually I just started the TikTok, the real jump man, Jay on TikTok. So, so listen, it's a great, it's a great platform. You don't always have to dance on it. You can kind of just put up vids to kind of cross pollinate. Right. Yeah, 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 it is good. What's in, what, what happens is guys guys get on um, TikTok and then they reference the TikTok to your Instagram. So it's a good way to just to get your stuff out there. And uh, where can they find you, Dylan? They can find me on Instagram at dl.ignacio, I-G-N-A-C-I-O. Um, and then if you go to that page, you'll get a direct link to one less. Our website's not yeah. up and running yet, but you can try it out. It's www one l-e-s-s training.org uh okay i'm always free for a dm it's the best way to get a hold of me cool cool um you have a time frame on when that uh on, on when that that website's going to be done i'm working with some people who some let me see myself now <laughs> that's on my goal that's on my goal list it's 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 up there like it's a functional website but it just doesn't have the material we want on it yet so uh, i got you okay cool. That out. cool awesome all right boys win What's important now? Have a good day, everyone. And uh, Dylan, thanks again for coming on the show, man. Stay face out. Stay safe out there. Yo, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. All right, Dylan. Appreciate you, brother. Later.